everyone, and welcome to episode 657 of Longbox Heroes, the Lamborghini of comic book podcasts. It's Joe and Todd here. Todd, hello. How are you? I'm doing good. Just dream, just booking my dream concerts, you know what I mean? Yes. Uh, Johnny Cash, The White Stripes, Winona Ryder. Yep, all three good, good, good shows they would be. All the great musicians are a day. <laughs> all right. Um... Yeah, did I did I lament on here that concert tickets are expensive? Yeah, I, I don't know if it was on here, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, concert tickets get a big a bit expensive. But I don't care; I'll pay it. Yeah. I have no family to support. Right. See, that thing that's it. I, I don't buy one ticket; I got to buy three tickets. You know. Right. I look at it this that old saying: "You can't take it with you." I ain't never seen a hearse with a luggage rack. You know. <laughs> I've seen pyramids that have like a bunch of stuff buried with them. Yeah, Smithers alongside Burns. Right. right. Um, but, but I, I assume a lot of your money would go into building the pyramids, so you wouldn't have as much to take with you. You know that that is true. I was just lamenting today that I feel bad for my brother having to schlep as of right now 110 short boxes to our local retailer when I die. And like, if he'll have room to buy it all or whatever, I just, I just beg my, I'm just going to beg my brother not to ever sell to local big timers. If you know what I mean? (laughs) Um, I, I always, uh, I would always say to my son when we'd be downstairs and I have all my boxes of comics down there, I go, just think son, one day when I'm gone, these will be yours to throw away. (laughs) I'm thinking of having a, uh, Viking comic slash, you know, human funeral. And just lighten them all, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I got, you know, you got stuff that's worth money. I got stuff that's worth money. Let's, uh, you know, let's start as grim as we possibly can, you know? I look at it this way, though. Who, like, I'm gone. What do I care? That's um, true. I look at it this way. My grandfather said one time, and I'm thinking of doing this, that he wanted to get buried with, like, bank money bags, like, on his chest and lined inside the casket. Yeah, and like have like washers in them for the change bags, and just like cut up paper and put it in, like saying I'm taking all my money with me. And then our job was to watch and see who dug them up first. I think I'm gonna do that with my big comics, like any of your like graded stuff, your high end ticket yeah, items. Be like I'm just gonna go with in my hands, Fantastic Four number five. <laughs> just like you know, like you know how your uh, your hands cross your chest. It's gonna be holding my copy of Fantastic Four number five, and it's gonna be like break into the vault if you want it. It's gonna be on display <laughs> yep. with you know when they have you stuffed. Ooh, there's the way to go. Yeah. Uh, so hey, let's get into some stuff that we have to talk about on the actual comic book show. Not our uh, hopefully not untimely deaths. Yep. Yep. Uh, DC has announced not one, not two, but three new JSA-related series, as this is, which which leads us to information about at least one other actual JSA series. (laughs) Um, And the latest and greatest fast food movie tie-in is here, Todd, and I told you beforehand I'm prepared for this podcast. You don't know how prepared I am. You have notes, son. I got tons of research. Okay. Uh, we have what we read from this past week with uh, Peacemaker Tries Hard number one, Shazam number one, and Batman 135 or 900, however you'd like to number it. Right. You could read 135, I'll read 900. There you go. Uh, what we're looking forward to coming out this week, 
Uh, Todd and Joe have issues discussing the final, the finale of A Game of You from Sandman and the first of the series of one-shots that we'll be reading before Brief Lives. And uh, I would say our spoiler-filled review, discussion, etc. of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Right, and I may or may not have some hot takes on this. Ooh, baby, I'm ready for your hot takes. Right. So, we mentioned last week DC, um, with their Dawn of DC stuff, is rolling out a bunch of stuff. Months from now, they're announcing books that are coming out in September in May. And they just they just rolled out a bunch of books that are coming out in October <laughs> in May. And it's three different miniseries uh, involving three different members of the JSA. There's a Alan Scott book by Tim Sheridan and C.N. Torme, a Jay Garrick book by Jeremy Adams and Diego Otologui, which I mispronounced their name, and a Wesley Dodds book by Robert Venditti and Riley Rosmo. Mm -hmm. uh, Venditti is the only writer I recognize. Me too. Um, but I will absolutely give these three books a whirl. I'm guessing of the three, you're probably looking forward most to the Wesley Dodd one, just because oh, yeah. you have an attachment to Wesley Dodd Sandman. Yeah, well, again, I have an attachment to the Sandman, um, and I have an attachment to, you know, the Wesley Dodds. I really like the the Sandman mystery theater stuff from, um, and again, the writer's name is escaping me right now, uh, Steven Siegel. Yep. Uh, who did that entire run? Uh, there's a bunch of Matt Wagner stuff in there, but like just the like, I think Wesley Dodds is like one of the coolest looking like Golden Age characters of all time. Yep. And I'm a sucker for like Venditti got a bad rap when he was doing the New Fifty Two, like Hal Jordan book and the Green Lantern or whatever. I, I didn't think that was any good, but when they brought back Rebirth and they gave him, he was doing the Four Corpsmen. Cor kind of a deal with uh kyle hal uh kyle hal guy and i forget who the john stewart it was that book was amazing and on that i kind of follow venditti wherever he goes so i'm looking forward to that uh sandman book yeah like i know he's been doing like some bad idea stuff lately which yep. you know your mileage may vary on those books right mm -hmm. um but you know like we were reading his exo man of war you know um yep. He he was a guy that we I think it was the strength of that Green Lantern run that we both really liked a bunch, um, you know. And I'm willing to give them a try because I really like those you know these Golden Age characters. Um, but again, like I said, I, I really like these characters. Um, you know what it leads to? Who knows where it leads to? Who knows? We shall see. Um, but with the announcement of these books and Star Girl: The Lost Children wrapping up this week. Um, we are getting, I guess it was officially announced or officially notified to us that the current Jeff Johns JSA book is a 12 issue maxi series. Okay. And I don't think it was solicited as such. Not that I saw. No, I think it was just a six. It was a six issue because in that, uh, that website that I use, it'll tell you how many issues and I wanted the, uh, Stargirl 6 has a Kevin Maguire variant cover, a 1 in 25, but our shop didn't get enough. So I was looking at it, it's like, oh, it's 6 of 6 on that website. So it definitely wasn't solicited as a 12 issue. Okay, I don't think we're following each other. 
Stargirl was solicited as a six-issue miniseries. Right. The JSA book by Jeff Johns was not solicited as nothing. It was just solicited as a book. Right, ongoing, that's what I remember. It was, right, it was solicited as an ongoing, but now the latest solicitation for the next issue says 6 of 12. Oh, okay, my, sorry, yes. We're previous to this, none of them said any, like, none of them had a designation on there that said how many issues there were of this. Right. Um, but yeah, that's sadly a book that's just behind schedule. Yeah, I wonder whose fault it is this time, you know? It's not my fault. Right, it's probably my fault somehow. It's probably my fault as well, but it's a book that I think, you know, and they're, they're trying to get it back on track. Um, but yeah, just interesting that that ends up getting, um, and again, I don't want to say the short shrift, um, but the net, like issue six isn't scheduled. I think issues like five isn't even out yet. No. Um, yeah. And it just keeps getting pushed back. But anyway, right. hopefully whatever they have planned for the three JSA miniseries is, is doesn't get fouled up by whatever Jeff Johns is late with. <laughs> right. Doomsday clock again. Yeah. And hey, I want to throw this out there as a side note. And maybe this might become a recurring feature on the show. I don't know. Um, but I stumbled upon through like a mutual follow this Twitter account that's called DC underscore moments. Okay. Uh, it just says crazy moments in DC history. Mm hmm. Um, and they'll just like, there's, it's like pretty much everything from the world of DC, um, you know, video games, movies, TV shows and stuff like where things are out of character or just like, why did this happen? How did this happen? Sort of thing. Um, like there was one today, um, in the, uh, season eight episode of Smallville, a daily planet photographer named Jimmy Olsen dies. At his funeral, they give his camera to his younger brother, James. They're both played by the same actor, both named Jim, one's named Jimmy and one's named James. Right. I vaguely remember that. Right. I was so, off that by that point, but. Yeah, I was off by that too. But like, he goes through a lot of stuff and I spent a good, like, I'm like, oh, I got some stuff I got to do on Sunday. And then I saw somebody tweet something out from the account. And I'm like, well, I'm sucked into this for an hour, you know? What's it? Uh, at DC underscore what? DC underscore moments. I'll have to look that up. Give them a look-see, yes. Um. So, the other big news is, do we have a new contender in the house for the Thing Burger? I, I don't know. I don't know who could take down the thing. So. Well, listen, Spider-Man is the greatest uh, superhero of all time with the third best rogues gallery of all time. Will he have the best fast food restaurant tie-in whatever? We shall see because it was announced this week that they are doing a Spider-Man across the universe Whopper at Burger <laughs> King. That is your normal standard Whopper but with Swiss cheese and a red bun that has hot sauce baked into it. Oh, boy. Yes. Um, see, I didn't see that. I knew the bun was red. Like, when whoever sent us the thing, um, I was like, okay, it's a red bun. That sounds like it's going to be spicy. I didn't, like, go into the the deep, uh, the, you know, dive of it that you did. But I was like, ah, red, that visually pleasing color of bread. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> 
Uh, well, again, it's a step up from their previous one where they did a black one, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, unfortunately, because there's hot sauce in it, I don't know if I could try this. I don't know if I'm legally allowed to t- try something spicy, you know? Yeah, um, I'm going to guess that the bread camp, and I now can't hold me this, is going to be all that spicy. Because I, I don't know how you're going to make, like, truly spicy bread, but... If you might not do it, I might have to take one for the team. So here, okay, there's more. We're not done. Okay, sorry. So it comes out on the 15th of May, okay? Right. Um, I, like, there's a Burger King literally, like, within walking distance from my house. I could mm-hmm. be there at, you know, 11.01 when they flip things over, right, to launch right. From, from breakfast. I would have to get it with no Swiss cheese and no mayo. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you just can, can I have the Whopper that that Spider Man Whopper with no Swiss cheese, no mayo, no spicy bun? Um, no, I no, would. I would. So I, I'm. I bite the bullet for the spicy bun. Mm-hmm. But I can't. A mayo and Swiss cheese are bridges too far. See if okay. If you could take off two, then I could take off one. Um, I can't. I don't like raw tomato on a sandwich. Now, see, I don't like raw tomato. I don't like lettuce. I don't like pickles on it. You know what I mean? I'm a very whatever. But for the bit, I would absolutely do it. You know, right? So, I mean, I could do a tomato on this just to do it. But there's nothing else on this burger that I don't like other than tomato. So, well, Todd. There might be more that you could get at Burger King that's Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse themed. Oh my goodness. There are certain Burger Kings, as of this recording, not the one by me yet, but there are certain Burger Kings that for the event are being reskinned on the outside to look like the red and blue animated style of the Spider-Verse. Right. Uh, there's already one in Astoria, Queens, that has already been reskinned, mm-hmm. and more and more are popping up across the United States. I will put money on that none near <laughs> us is going to happen. Well, again, they did. They did. Uh, Burger King did just project that they are going to be closing 400 stores by the end of 2023. So there is less and less stores that they'll have to choose from eventually. Right. Oh, I forgot to tell you my Long John Silver story. But anyway. Uh, that's what After Dark is for. I know. We were on a tear, though. So Next week. And they're also doing a Spider-Verse ice cream sundae, which is a soft-serve ice cream topped with, and I quote, black and red chocolate-popping candies. Ooh. <laughs> Wasn't that wasn't that the band that did Zoot Suit Riot? Yes, Red Chocolate Pop and Candies. <laughs> yes. Um, but uh, May fifteenth, that is a that's a Monday. Uh, I will go to Burger King. I will get the Spider Verse Sunday, the Spider Verse Burger, no cheese, no mayo, and I will uh do it as a bit, you know. So you're doing that for lunch then? That might just be a midday snack. Right, no, because we're because I was wondering. Ah, okay, then I guess I'll have to do it that Monday too. You know, you do it whenever you want. I'm just saying we'll have to do we we, we would have to do it before we record next week. No, I get you, I get you. Yeah, so it'll. Uh, I'm trying to think of the day because today, as we record, is the ninth. Yeah. So yeah, next Monday. Yeah. <sighs> and like they're doing like a the kids meal thing, whatever. Like you know, they're just like these like toys um, and it's it's so it's like a it's essentially like a little. 
like um cardboard box, I guess. Right. Like, you know, that you would typically like imagine that the Happy Meal thing would come in. Right. But it like pops out a bunch of stuff. Like you'd pop people out of it, pop connector things out of it, pop other buildings out of it. Kind of like you, an activity box. Yeah, and if you collect like all four or five of them, they all like fit together to fill to make like a big spider verse thing. Right. But that seems like it takes up too much room, you know? Yeah. But look at that. Spider-Man uh, invades Burger King. And I think right now McDonald's has Guardians of the Galaxy toys. Probably. I don't... You know what? That's... I am so far away from, like, McDonald's toys. The last, like, fast food tie-in thing that I wanted... There was, like, some weird, like, DC things that were either, like, pen tops or, like, danglers. They would, like... You could hang them from things. That was, like, DC in, like, 2008 was the last time I cared about a fast food tie-in. So. Um, but, yeah, so... um. Yeah, like I said, my, my kid doesn't like fast food. He doesn't like McDonald's. He doesn't like Burger King. He likes sheets, you know? I heard he's uh, he's becoming a Little Caesars guy. Yeah, and Little Caesars too, but they don't have any tie-ins currently, I don't think. Right. They had a tie-in to the NFL draft. Ugh. And you don't care about that either. <laughs> Good for him. Uh, so, not to say that there's no conventions this weekend, because there are conventions this weekend, but there's none, like, near us... There's no big-named folks at any of the conventions. There's a couple out-of-country ones. Right. Um, and we typically don't do, like, you know, the ones that are outside of the United States too, too often, unless there's, like, big-name folks on them. But their sites weren't working with Google Translate, so I don't know how to navigate the sites. Uh, you got to learn another language. That's how. Rosetta Stone for Joe. Now, what's the Duolingo is the app that everyone uses to learn themselves a language, right? Right. I just know of Rosetta Stone. So. I see a lot of people tweeting their streaks in Duolingo, but I don't see them speak in no different language is all I'm saying. Right. Um, but yeah, so you're free from convention plugs this weekend, but you are not free from plugs for the soon-to-be-named network at soon-to-be-named-network.com at soon-to-be-named-network.tumblr.com uh, Anytime any of the shows in the soon-to-be-named network go live uh, or any of the folks from those shows go on other shows and they let me know, you can find them all over at soon-to-be-named-network.com or soon-to-be-named-network.tumblr.com That includes this show, Longbox Heroes, Longbox Heroes After Dark, At Oz with Wrestling, We Need Wrestling, Final Wrestling Place, Puzzle Warriors 3, Profane Arguments, and Wings on Wings. And remiss, I would be sad if I did not mention the re the recently triumphant return of Porch Talk. Oh, as always, the sun's coming out. It's time for Porch and Joe. That's right. Sun's out, Porch is out, they always say. <laughs> yeah. <you know? laughs> porch in time. Very famous save. That's right. It was that wrestler who would come out and he would pick up some imaginary sand and then he would yell, it's porching time. <laughs> right. Because that's where he's been sitting for the last six months. Wow. Anyway. Uh, hey, go check out some of our other friends uh, on the internet. Um, go check out Mike Sterling's blog over at ProgressiveRuin.com. Uh, go check out our friend Kevin's blog over at MassLibrary.com. Uh, go check out Rick Williams' The Chop Shop at FreeKarateChops.StoreEnvy.com. Uh, Jason Sandberg, as uh, 
Todd mentioned to me last week, has extended the Indiegogo campaign for Jupiter another 30 days. Obviously, he's running the campaign simultaneously between Indiegogo and uh, Kickstarter, depending on which platform, which crowdfunding one you prefer to use. You have both options available. We'll keep up the link to the Indiegogo one because that's the bigger one. Um, you know, that's currently rolling. They've blown past his original goal. They're over $5,000. Jason did great with this. I look forward to more and more what he's going to be doing in the future. Uh, you can go check over at fortressofcomicnews.com, Chris Runt's podcast, where he does more interviewee stuff than we typically do, and also pick up his self-published comic, Battle Monsters. Go check out our friend Dave of the band Cave People's self-published comic, Keeper. Uh, keepercomic.bigcartel.com and if you do not have a comic book store in your area or you do not have a good comic book store in your area, let our store be your store, Comics on the Green I have the gang's Facebook page linked up here, that's typically where Dave puts up the announcements uh, in regards to the new releases are in if there's delays uh, what the newest and greatest and hottest pre-orders that you should be aware of are you could sign up for their mail order subscription service Get your stuff mailed to you weekly, monthly, bi-monthly, however it is. And if you do, there's a chance you can get a sketch on the package from our good friend Becky. You can go check out her social media uh, for commissions, sketches, process. Sadly, nothing uh, to give her money, which, again, there's only so much you could do. Right. She hates money. She hates money. Right. Uh, listen, any money, if you go and you look at something that's nice on Becky's social media that she's done art-wise, and you're like, man, I wish there was a way that I could buy that, just send me the money. <laughs> Whatever you think is fair. Right. You'll take care of it. I got it under control. Uh, so let's get into what we read from this past week. Todd, where would you like to begin? I'm going to start with the book we were both looking forward to most, which was Peacemaker Tries Hard, written by Kyle Starks, art by Stephen Pugh. Um, we get Peacemaker, you know, starts out with Peacemaker in a, in a grocery store, picking some stuff up. Maybe uh, this book is inventing a new dessert that I may have to try someday, Joe. Um, and he ends up getting a phone call while he's heading home from Amanda Waller saying, I need you. He's kind of like, you know, well, like uh, I got, I thought I was out uh, of task force X and she's like, well, we're still paying your bills. There's these terrorists. You like peace taking out terrorists, you know, helps peace. He goes, you know, has his moment fighting those ends up picking up, a, you know, a little friend along the way. Um, it's spoiled on the cover. He picks up a little dog that's wearing a yeah. little, looks like he's wearing a little tuxedo. He calls him a little fancy gentleman, man. Yeah. Which is fantastic. Uh, the name that he gives him is absolutely hysterical. Uh, he ends up going, you know, on another adventure because somebody leaves a note at his trailer. Um, and he meets maybe another uh, villain who needs his help because, uh, a villain needs him help because he's. Peacemaker, maybe his uh, morals are a bit flexible, and that could help him. Uh, I don't want to give away too much, but the best way to describe this is if you loved the number one TV show of last year, Peacemaker, you were going to love this book because there's been nothing, you know, there's nothing closer that I think you could do than this book for Peacemaker. As I read this, I heard John Cena's voice in my head the whole time. Yeah. Um you know, I think we talked about it maybe last week. Um, again, it's tough to say. They did the uh, one shot that came out last summer, 
With Garth um, Ennis writing it. Yeah, with Garth Ennis writing, which is great. Garth Ennis could do like a dark humor style, but he didn't for the one shot. And it kind of felt flat when the Peacemaker TV show was so fresh and so right off the thing, you know? Mm. Um, this is so strong. If you like that TV show, this comic just feels like more of the same. And obviously, uh, Kyle Stark, Stephen Pugh had nothing to do with the TV show. Uh, but I think that they're just such good talents that like, this doesn't feel like it still feels like a Kyle Stark's comic too. Right. But the TV show was right up his alley. So yeah. Yeah. Um, and it looks great. Um, you know, I think Stephen Pugh had done a bunch of things and I'll say this in the past, a lot of Stephen's Stephen Pugh's stuff has looked a little bit more rough, if that makes any sense. Yeah, he was doing like Animal Man during New 52 and Animal Batman back in the day. And his stuff seemed more like artsy than this seems more realistic. So I think, you know, you know, I didn't go back and grab a ton of stuff, but I definitely remember a lot of his stuff um, was inked with a much heavier line. Right. And I really hate when we get like this deep into art talk. But, like, I feel there's certain artists that an anchor, you know, whether they're their own anchor or somebody else is doing the inking, um, and he is doing his own inking on this book, um, I think that really makes a difference, you know, on a lot of artists. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I think the best part about this book, and even if you never saw the TV show, you definitely should go watch the TV show. It's on HBO Max, and I think there's a Blu-ray out of it as well. But, um... Peacemaker is a jerk, mm -hmm. a dunderhead, right? But somehow very lovable. He's got a heart of gold, Joe. Right. You you want to see him succeed, um, Just despite himself. Just right. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, obviously, Todd's doing a great job of walking around. Um, you know who the people that give Peacemaker his mission is and mm -hmm. what the mission is. And I would not want to be the ones to do that. But if you sit and you think real hard, it's the cameos and it's the supporting cast that makes the most sense mm -hmm. that they could never do in the TV show. Uh, totally, totally. Um, but they I might have tried, They might have tried in one TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say going back to just the quick, the Garth Ennis peacemaker book that you said, yes. I was talking about this with Adam on the porch recently. And, uh, the only thing that I can come up with that is like, cause he was like, Oh, I'm really looking. I, I want to read the new peacemaker book because I read that one that it came out and he said everything that you said, like it was like the height of the show. And this came out. I said, I guarantee you 100% guarantee you that Garth Ennis wrote that. And that was sitting in a drawer somewhere. And when the show exploded, they're like, what do we have ready to go in the can for peacemaker? They're like, Oh, we have this, we have this Garth Ennis book that is nothing like the TV show, but it has a peacemaker in it, print it. And that's what happened. I don't believe he came up with that overnight or Garth would have tried to make it like Kyle did. Yeah. Because he has that sensibility too. You know what I mean? From reading Preacher and stuff like that and Hitman and whatever. So I just feel that that was a something he tried that was different was just sitting around and they're like, let's try to cash in on this. And it was a mistake. That makes a lot of sense, I would say. Right. Uh, so the next book that we both read... Uh, let's say is Shazam number one. 
Sure enough. Uh, written by Mark Wade with art by Dan Mora. Now, I will say, and I, I would like to start with this, and that I, I will say that the only stumbling block of this book uh, would be that it ties in so closely to whatever the last big event in DC was. Uh, Lazarus Planet. Right. And I didn't read no Lazarus Planet. Either did I. But they do a good job of getting you through that. Surprisingly, Mark Wade seems to be a good <laughs> storyteller in yep. getting that stuff across, right? Yep. Um, and, you know, obviously this definitely, you know, we talked about um, the Peacemaker comic, Guile Stark, Stephen Pugh, having the feel of the TV show. This definitely has the feel and some of the look, even, of the movies. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, it's it's always good if you have a property that's kind of hitting in one spot to try to to line it up with your comic book properties. Like, because a lot more people are seeing the TV shows and the movies than they are reading the comics. It's just a sad state of affairs. So if it's a property like a Shazam or a Peacemaker that is a surprise hit, and it's not Batman, not Superman, not one of the big seven you could twist things a little bit of the comic books to make it fit with the more popular property, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, obviously there's, you know, there, the, the solicitations for this is kind of selling this book that, um, you know, Shazam is the one that takes care of like the weirdo stuff. Um, right. doesn't have a real defined one villain, if you will. But if dinosaur aliens need their spaceship rebooted and sent back into space, Shazam's your guy sort of thing. Pretty much. Um, you know, they, they give you the usual. They give you his uh, origin, where he got, gets his powers from. They talk about the tie-in to the Lazarus planet stuff. And all the while, while Shazam is trying to do good and trying to reconnect um, to, let's say, the Shazam force so he can share it with the rest of the Shazam family, um, some ones are watching from the shadows, right? Yep. Um, and then, you know, obviously there's the good bit in here in regards to um, Mark Way does a great explanation of like, hey, if you say the word Shazam and you're this all knowing, all powerful, all cool superhero, why would you ever want to turn back into a kid? And Mark Way does a great job of explaining that. Yep, that's my favorite part of this issue. Yeah, yeah. Again, like I said, not really wanting to give too, too much away. And then again, of course, after a big rescue attempt by uh, Shazam, of course, because the way that he kind of gets around things is, doesn't he do a podcast about Shazam as well? Right, because Billy Batson used to be like a radio guy, kid. Um, that's not what it is today, you know, like radio isn't the big thing. So doing a podcast is the next best thing. So I like that Mark Wade updated, you know, that. Uh, that totally works for me. Um, I mean, I hear they'll just give anybody podcasts, you know. That's what I hear. And uh, and then we get like kind of a, you know, a cliffhanger shock twist ending, you know. Mm-hmm. I'll say this. um, uh, you hit on everything. I love the like the logic behind the why wouldn't Billy be Captain Marvel all day? And I'm going to call him the captain. There's a bit now where they don't call him Shazam anymore because he can't use like before it was so stupid. There was like, oh, if I say Shazam and I don't mean it, I, I don't change. But if I do say Shazam and I do mean it, 
I do change, and that's all dumb. They said due to Lazarus Planet when he says Shazam, he changes. But now due to something, they call him, as a joke, the captain. And I'm like, oh, that's great. And they kind of allude to it. And it's kind of like to me when he was doing the uh, World's Finest book where he's like, where Dick Grace is talking about the date that he went on with Supergirl. And it's like, oh, we're definitely getting this story down the line of what the nautical accident was that they call him uh, Captain. So I'm like, this is taking everything back to basics. And that's what I want. But the one thing that popped me beyond belief is the fact of seeing uh, Captain Marvel in his old costume, like, the like the epitome of what I think of of the costume, and I'm really hoping that this will catch on with other DC characters, and we can get away from a lot of the over stylized costumes. Like I don't need Flash with all the doodads on his costume and lightning bolts. It's red, yellow, white. We're good to go. So I'm hoping this will bring us back to basics if it works. Um, because I love those old classic costumes. Comics should be what I want them to be at all times. That's basically what I'm saying. There are certain comics that they got right the first time. Yep, no me, no need to give anybody hot claws, Joe. You got it right the first time. Right, and if your comic book costume inspired the looks of both Elvis and Kiss, mm-hmm. then let's not change things up anymore. Right, let's not you know mess with a with a winner. I'll give you. Yeah, you inspired just Kiss, okay. You inspired just Elvis. Okay, maybe make some tweaks. But the two of them <laughs> together, let's leave everything alone. You're in the sweet spot. Yeah, I think you're pretty influential, you know? Yep, yep. So, so the last one that we both read was uh, Batman 135, uh, written by Chip Zdarsky with a host of right uh, artists. Right, could use a few more anchors, but yeah. Oh, oh my goodness. Um, no, no. So Mike Hawthorne, Jorge Jimenez, and uh, Mikel Janine as uh, artists, a bunch of colorists, of course, to um, you know, get the different looks of things, right? Mm-hmm. Um. So again, the elevator. So we were worried about spoilers on this book, right? Mm-hmm. And. Batman, at the end of the previous storyline with Failsafe, gets shunted off to this other reality, this other dimension, okay? Right. Um, And in this dimension, there is no Batman, there is no Bruce Wayne, um, but pretty much everything else is there and things are terrible, just like everything is in Gotham City. Uh, So again, of course, as any of this stuff happens, Bruce Wayne is invariably... Um, pulled to become Batman. And it turns out that at the heart of all this is the Red Mask, or a Red Mask, who is constantly attempting to try to figure out how to become the Joker, essentially. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, we get more or less that resolution in the first part of the book. And because this is Batman in a different reality a different timeline a different whatever um as batman is attempting to stop the red mask from going through the other timelines to complete his mission we get to see 
pretty much every iteration of Batman that they could fit into this. Yes, which was a bit disconcerting disconcerting at times because each time I was too busy trying to figure out which Batman it was if it wasn't a slam dunk one. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, which Batman is this? So I, I think, you know, I pretty much, and again, I don't want to, you know, obviously if you didn't read this, um, you know, I, I want it, but by us saying that, I think we're kind of cluing you in as to like what you get in there. Right. Um, there are certain ones that get a little bit more time. Like, let's just say Batman Beyond gets a little bit more time than some that just get a panel or a page or a whatever. But any popular pop culture genre penetrating version um, of Batman that you could think of that's out there gets a nod in this. And maybe there's one in particular um, that gets even a bigger nod. Yep. There's and a, it gets yeah. redemption, if you will. Right. Um, I'll say this. I, I, I enjoyed this well, story. Because I don't want to give it like there's a bunch of cool moments in this, you know? Right. My thing that I like about it is um, and, and being cage about it, too, is as Batman's jumping from these worlds to worlds, he's finding worlds that he, that the Batman no longer has to deal with a Joker, if that makes any sense. Right. And the thing that I like about it is, like, even in a world where I thought I would get that he, to think that I would get peace after the Joker is gone. I don't. That's the one thing that I really love is like, he's like, he's like, cause that emptiness is still there and I'm, I'm just going to be the Batman. And I, and I, and I like that. Um, the one weird thing I was saying, I could say because it was in last issue. So it's not a spoiler is I'm, I want to see what they're going to end up doing. Cause it's not truly explained with what happens to Batman's hand. Like that has me very creeped out because like I, I, my Batman doesn't get, get too injured if that makes sense because he's the perfect hero so i want to see they they he gets his hand injured in, in a way and then they kind of fix it in this book and i'm like well how did they fix it is it you know is it a robot hand like what i don't know i just want to see and i don't know why but that really jumped out at me and i want to see where the rest of this goes absolutely um but i've really been enjoying chip zadarsky's uh run on this like and that's the one thing about chip zadarsky he's writing a bunch of stuff right now he's writing this um he's writing that crime book at image um what's the name of that book uh new burn that's on her hiatus though okay so new burns on a hiatus still water just came back um he's writing daredevil and none of his books even feel like they're written by the same guy yeah, I will totally get that. But uh, I don't know if I said Newburn is because Josh at the shop was just telling me today that it's coming back soon. So he'll probably have four in the hopper again. But yeah, he's a chameleon when it comes to characters, man. And even on Batman, as we said, when he drew, when he wrote uh, Ollie or he wrote Superman, he seemed to have all those guys right in a Batman book. So I don't think there's anything he can't capture in a book. Mm hmm. Uh, so, like I said, it's a bunch um, of stuff that we got uh, from this past week. Let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, if you head over to longboxheroes.com every Tuesday around noon Eastern time, we put up the poll post, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week. Whether you get your books in print, whether you get them digitally, whether you get them sent to your home, be forewarned, be forearmed, know what's coming out this week. Um, I am currently in the lead over Todd with two correct guesses. Yes. 
Uh, so I need to start playing smarter and harder here uh, when it comes to this. Yep, it's time for you to start playing defense, I guess. Um, right. right. <clears throat> I go first. Yep. Um, I'm going to say the book that you're most looking forward to coming out this week is Green Lantern number one. It is Green Lantern number one. I'm looking forward to seeing that. Um, though I will say with the solicits that I saw, and I try not to look at solicits, is it's like literally the solicit starts with coming off the ba- the last big crossover. I'm like, oh boy, okay. Like I have a feeling I'm going to have a learning curve on that. But uh, I'm looking forward to it. I want a good Green Lantern book on my, uh, my list again. Um, I just have one question. I think it's the slam dunk, but what's Murder, Inc., Jagger, Rose? It is a uh, teen crime book by Brian Michael Bendis at Dark Horse. Oh, okay. Um, I haven't read anything from Bendis in a while, and this is pretty much self-contained, so I'm sticking my toe back into the pool. Right. That being said, Saga 64. No. Murder, Inc., Jagger, Rose? No. Oh, my God. I don't know. Junkyard Joe? Amazing Spider-Man 25. Oh, what's Amazing Spider-Man 25? This is the thing that they've been teasing for months that we've done stories about on the show Mm -hmm. that they really want us to believe that they're going to kill off Mary Jane. Ah, that advertising has been working on me, Joe. I don't think they're going to kill off Mary Jane, but I'm so intrigued to see what they're going to do. Oh, okay. Yeah. Look at that. Gaining some ground. You're not dwindling anymore. You're separating, Joe. Separating. And it was just one of those things where, like, I look at my list and I'm just like, uh, you know, it's Saga, right? And then I'm doing my covers to send over... um, for Dave, if there's any variant covers that I want on stuff, and then I look at the Amazing Spider-Man covers, and I'm like, oh my god, that's right, this is supposed to be the Mary Jane issue. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I'm it's this is a definite, like, they've built it up so much, and it's, Todd, it's a dozen plus Mary Jane covers, right? Right. So, the fact that they're leaning so hard on it makes me think that it can't be that, right? Or it can be, it's the double switcheroo, the gotcha. The, or it could be the double switcheroo. Mm-hmm. Oh, so I'm that, that's what gets my vote this week. I'm shocked that you passed up on a saga. So Yeah, it doesn't happen often. I think, you know, in the time that saga has been a thing, it's less than five. That saga wasn't the book that I picked when it was the book that was coming out, you know? Right, yep. It's a red-letter day here at uh, the old Longbox Heroes uh salt mines <laughs> uh speaking of which uh this is the point of the show where i turn things over to you mr todd uh because it is time for todd and joe have issues as we are reading the finale of a game of you uh which is issue 37 and uh issue 38 in the uh convergence one shot um yeah yes um, so like you, like Joe said, the end of uh, Game of You, uh, we jump forward from like last we saw a little bit. We see that Barbie is in a bathroom discussing like trying to like basically take everything in that's happened. Um, so we establish that it's 
you know, uh, a bit since we last left her. And then we get the title, and I just I don't often say the title, but it's, it's episode six of this. I woke up and one of us was crying. Spoiler alert, by the time this is over, it may have been me was the one of us who was crying, Joe. Um, so Barbie is left with uh, the, the her crew in the dreaming after things have fallen apart on that little island, and they ask him, like what's going to happen now? And he's like, nothing like, uh, there's all that I did. She's like, but what about the cuckoo? Uh, she's evil. And he's like, basically saying, you know, that's her nature. Is that evil? And going to kill me. It's like, Thessaly was going to kill the cuckoo. So should I punish Thessaly too? And, uh, but listen, you know, so everything is going to be all right. But, you played your part, you know, in the cuckoo too. And he's like, well, maybe you and a little bit of what went on with Rose Walker. That's right. That dream vortex. And I like that. This is when Barbie and Foxglove find out that they both know Rose, um, that they didn't know, uh, together. And they basically like are saying, uh, it's a small world kind of a deal. Right. I love that part that they're on this like floating chunk of whatever's left of this dream reality that Barbie has been living in. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, huh, small world. And it's like, yeah, it took all of this, everything that happened right. uh, in these stories for like these two strangers to find out that they had this common friend. Mm-hmm. And he's basically saying like, you know, there are ramifications from you coming here, like what you did, like traveling the moon kind of a deal, your trespassers. And like Thessaly and Morpheus are kind of going uh, uh, back and forth and they're like, oh, well, I'm done here kind of a deal. And she's like, what's going to happen like with this place when you leave? He's like, I'll leave it for you. It would be cruel to remove it. Um and uh, they're all like start asking him questions, but they're like, don't push him too much. And uh, he starts talking to Barbies like I created this place, you know, as part of a deal. And that deal is over now. And uh, you get one boon. And she's kind of like thinking of like, what could that be? She's like, can I ask to kill the cuckoo? He's like, yes. Can I make the land whole again and bring back all my friends? He's like, yes, you can You can do any of those. He's like, let me think. And I like that Thessaly slides right in. And she's like, you know, kill the cuckoo. You know, let's do it. And he's like, but I want to kind of, he could get us home. Uh, it's like, doesn't matter. I'll figure it out somehow. And she's like, basically, I'll take the, I like that she calls it the Dorothy option. Like, I want to go home, all of us, safe and sound. He's like, very well. Keywords. Yep, very key. Right, and again, I, I and we'll get there momentarily, but I like that as much as Morpheus is changing, mm-hmm. um, he is still a very literal person. Yes. Um, so the cuckoo's like, does that mean I can fly? Like, they're like, yes, go away. And the cuckoo, the little girl runs off, turns into, like, the cuckoo, the various colored uh, feathered bird. And I like that shot. And I like that even uh, Barbie's, like, wow, like, this is majestic um, kind of a deal. But Thessaly is angry. You know what I mean? Um, So, like, we we kind of get, like, inner space through this of uh barbie in the in the bathroom in this bathroom like and now she's drawing like a veil on her face with a pen because she she likes to paint her face as we have established um and and, and we don't know for sure but obviously it's very clear that she's getting ready for someone's funeral Mm -hmm. and like it if it didn't click from the previous issue and i know we're reading things a week 
you know, behind, but if it didn't click from last week's issue and it didn't click from the first panel, you know, by this point and by the next time that we see her doing this, it's very clear as what she's doing, you know, wh- whose funeral this is that she's going to. Right. So now like uh dream is basically, you know, drumming them all for like what they're doing, basically telling them all like, you know, you know, you, you took some risks here and maybe choose your, you know, your traveling companions more wisely kind of a deal, which is basically given the ribbon to Thessaly. And I like that he ends up saying like, you know, you've survived a long time, but keep this up and you're not going to survive long. And I do like that. She says, I don't remember asking your advice, Dream King. And he's kind of like, it was freely given and well met like farewell. And I'm like, Oh, okay. It's, you know, obviously we're aware that these two have a past, you know, Mm -hmm. and we even get the little bit a little bit later on um, where because Dream specifies and says, like, you know, obviously you said for me to return you, but because you guys said that it's going to be safe and sound, uh, it's going to take me a little while to do this, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, So you guys, guys, and this is not my words, not his. He's like, yeah, you got to hang back a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so Hazel and Fox love her talking to Thessaly about how old she is and everything else like that. Um, and she's just like, uh, he comes on like he's so cool. Who does he think he's fooling? Well, he's not fooling me. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sure, it isn't even if he's good looking, too. He's too thin for a start. So it, whether these two were former lovers or, you know, whatever it is, like, I love that it just comes out here, you know? Right. I think at this point they just ran into each other in passing kind of a deal they've established, but uh-huh. I don't know. It seems like that they, they, they you know, they, they, they like uh, irking each other kind of a deal at this point anyway. And again, very clearly we find out, uh, you know, how old Vesely is. She was born in the day of the greatest darkness, the year the bear totem was shattered. Oh! That could it be any simpler, Joe? Yeah, clear as mud. Yep. Um, so at this point, like uh Barbie's trying to hold on to it all, but she ends up like and I love that this line is used a lot throughout the series, you know. Uh, I tried to stay in that dream forever, you know, but then I woke up. Like that's always a great line in these. And she says that now she really is in Kansas, kind of a deal, and she's in this diner. And she ends up meeting Wanda's aunt, right? Is it aunt? Yes. And uh, they basically start talking as they're, you know, getting food. And she's like, oh, what'd you do? Drew a veil on my face. Well, you are a weirdo. Um, kind of like, you know, that 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 boy, uh, that he was a sinner too. And she's like, boy? It's like, Alvin, my late nephew. How close were you? He's like, oh, we were good, you know, doing this, that girl talk, which is an important thing. And she's like, Listen, when you meet the family, take that notion right out of your head. Alvin, boy, all of it. Don't give them any more grief than they already need. And I, I like establishing there. I like that she even says they're not as open-minded as me. Um, and she's, she's terrible. You know what I mean? So we can't, uh, we can't really, you know, can't wait to meet the family. Um, so she asks, like, kind of what happened. She's like, I don't know. I just woke up, and I was under a pile of rubble. 
hence being you can't go back until you know safely um and she's like i don't know there's this dead woman on top of me and her name was Maisie hill i've never met her before and i like the fact that she only met her once in the alleyway she was the i don't like dogs lady but she didn't remember because it was a fleeting moment you know what i mean all this stuff going on um and she runs down like where what happened everybody's like george was in the bathtub his head was smushed and torso and stuff like that foxglove and and hazel were okay but uh alvin was already dead um and i like the bit where she's talking about how she's in the body bag and all her mind can go to is how a danger it is to suffocate in a, ba- a, a plastic bag. And she wants to scream, get her out of there. And the art by Sean McManus of the bag over Wanda's face is so sad, Joe, just so, so sad that, that always kind of, kind of stuck with me. You know what I mean? There's, you know, obviously the panels as uh, Barbie is telling Wanda's, aunt all of this mm-hmm. and we get the flashback bits and they're kind of like in they're not fully colored they're just kind of like in a blue to designate that it's a flashback sort of thing or she's telling the story um you mentioned the things with wanda's face through the body bag um mm-hmm. there's the one shot where it's just the close-up of barbie's face and there's a bunch of word balloons of the emt people and the news person fighting with each other Mm -hmm. and how distressing barbie's face looks there but i love that neil perfectly captured early 90s new york in just those three panels yeah that gruffness of like hey we're all just trying to do our jobs here you know yeah dirtbag reporters vultures i say joe vultures um and they basically say like they're okay. Thessaly was fine, um, but uh, that and I like that she mentions that the owner of the building, who was Scarlet, was like away, but she came and visited me. I read an interview that Neil like originally had a whole story because Neil said that Scarlet, who owned this building, was Hal. That was the the person who did the uh, drag shows in Doll's House that got Barbie this apartment. Like he has a whole story about Hal. And Scarlet. Uh, and I'm like, oh, I really want to read that. So he's like, maybe someday um, I'll get to it. So that's kind of cool. Um, I And I do like in this little town, like all the people just not like, but it shows like the, the, the small town, like their crass tour and everything. Like even the waitress says, you know, that you're, you're going, well, come back. You need to be fattened up some. I'm like, oh, my God, you know, kind of the deal. Um, we'll we'll end around to um, Barbie going into the, uh, the, re- the the diner here a little bit later on. Right. So they get to the funeral um, and they talk about what she's going to plan on doing after all this. And she's going to go like out and travel a little bit and they meet the family and uh, she, she goes up. She's like, she could, you know, consoled this to the mother. And it was like, it was a hurricane. It was God's judgment, a city of sinners. Um, and I love that uh, it was like Barbara, the service is starting. Why don't you stand in the back, which is just a slap. And immediately the mother, Wanda's mother and father are talking to the aunt. And it's just, she is not coming back to our house. You know, like a veil on the face. It's absolutely hideous. And I'm like, just terrible, terrible people. You know what I mean? Right. And then like, you know, talking about uh, the mom is like, I don't want that girl come back to the house. Uh, with the people that we've got coming over, 
Um, the aunt is like, well, that's not really hospitable. Uh, she's come a long way. Um, and she's like, well, I didn't ask her to come. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, the funeral kind of breaks up and Wanda or uh, Barbie stays back. And on the tombstone, it has Alvin's name, you know, Alvin Mann. And she starts talking to the grave and she's like, I wish you were here. You'd, you know, you'd say something. We'd have fun kind of a deal. Um, uh, I, I, you could tell me why George was in the bath, why Fox and Hazel seem to be avoiding me and who the old lady is who saved my life. Uh, I like, she's like, I never even met her. I went to the funeral. All that was there was her daughter. So this is like her second funeral. Um, uh, and I like that she lays down. This is like, this is, this is very touching. She, she ends up talking about how everybody has like a secret world inside of them. Um, maybe not just one world, but hundreds, maybe thousands. Um, anyway, I got you a present and she brought him, uh, her, a Hyperman comic and the tale of her picking it up in a comic shop. Joe is probably more than a handful of uh, comic shops in the nineties. You know what I mean? Like that, that's the stereotype. And maybe there was a reason for it talking about, I do love the fact that she says that, you know, they hadn't swept the floor in a decade and I bet the staff had to take unhelpfulness lessons. (laughs) Have you ever been in a comic shop like this? Uh, There've been times, um, there had been times where there was more than one comic book shop in our area, mm-hmm. and I was trying to find back issues of stuff, and I would go in, or April would go in as we were trying to look for stuff, and obviously she would get a much different reaction, reception, or whatever than I would when I went in. Right. Yeah. So and that was yeah, it was the early 2000s still, you know? Yep, yep. Um, and I like that... Uh, Barbie's like, and the, the the owner treated me like garbage. I wish you were there. You would have like torn right through him. But I right. just got so yeah. So she has that moment where she says, you know, the obviously the 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 store owner says something very crass and disrespectful to her. You have the bit where she's walking through the diner and the two truckers say something very crass and disrespectful to her. And again, it's been a long time since I've read these things and I don't remember. But just from these two moments alone, I'm like. I want Barbie to have her moment. Mm -hmm. I want Barbie to have her moment where she's confronted with something like this again. And she gets that sort of thing of like, what would Wanda do in a situation like this? She'd give these people what for. And I want Barbie to have that moment where she gets to stand up to these folks Mm -hmm. that treat her so disrespectfully. And again, I don't remember if she does or does not, but I'm really hoping that she does. Right. Um, so she throws the Hyperman comic on the grave, you know what I mean? And she says, I brought this for you, too. It's a lipstick. It's called Tacky Flamingo or whatever it is, but it was your favorite color. And Joe, she scratches out Alvin and writes Wanda on the headstone. Maybe I'm getting a little dusty in here, Joe, just a little bit. Oh, um, but she uh, she ends up leaving and she goes, you know, like, and I, I basically, the, the aunt says, maybe, you know, you should go off on your own. Don't come back to the, to the thing. And she kind of starts remembering uh, her bus trip here and how it kind of like she kind of nodded off. And then she dreams of Wanda. And Wanda is standing there and she's, she reminds her of Glinda in the Oz movie. And I like that she says, and when I, she was perfect. 
And when I say perfect, I mean perfect. Drop dead gorgeous. There's nothing camp about her, nothing artificial. And she looks happy. Wanda's with this woman. I don't, I don't know. And this woman goes up on tippy toes and whispers something into Wanda's ear. Then Wanda turns around and sees, seems to see me and she waves. They both wave. Joe, whenever I read this, oh my God, this, this ending to a game of you breaks me every, every time. And she ends up like saying she's like, uh, she gets dropped off at the bus stop and she just, uh, she just wants something hot to drink. And if there's a moral there, I don't know what it is, save maybe that we should take our goodbyes whenever we can. And that's all. And it just ends like that, man. Breaks me every time. Oh, goodness. What a good comic book this is. So, so much, man. So much. And Neil says, he goes, he goes, he's had many people like, cause Wanda prop, like, you know, this is like, we talk late, late night, uh, you know, it's 1991. Right. I was going to say early nineties, late eighties. And you know, th- and this is a hot button issue today, like in, in, in that time. And he said he had so many people hot about the Wanda character, but in the end, they all like he goes, you know, you're going to have your your people who are never going to come along if you get my meaning. But he goes, so many people come and say, I hated Wanda in the beginning, but you absolutely made me love that character, like love her, feel bad for just hate everything that had happened to her. And he goes, that was my goal. That was my whole like my whole thing. And in the end, like my God, like, you know, like I said, I was young and stupid. This may have like put me on the right path to certain things. So just a great (laughs) issue. You know? uh, for sure. Um, again, you, you forget how good all of this entire run is, and I'm not going to belabor the points that have belabored many, many a times. Um, but, you know, I think there's, you know, I, I, I'd like to think that we get to see more of this and these and these characters, obviously, because um, Barbie does ask for Martin Tenbones and the rest of her court uh, to also be okay. No, that was that was one she didn't choose. Oh, that's right. She just chose for the group that was there, the people that lived in the apartment. Yes, yes. Right. She basically said, like, these were her options. She's like, so I could do any of these things. I could either, you know, I could get the whole island back with Martin Ten Bones in the mall. I could have the cuckoo killed, which Thessaly was pushing for. And she had all these people pushing for something. She goes, in the end, all you go pound sand. I'm taking the Dorothy route. I'm taking his home safe and sound. So in that, she could she could only choose one thing. Gotcha, so I don't know gotcha. if we're going to see those guys. You know what I mean? Gotcha, gotcha. But, uh, so on to issue 38, which is called The Hunt. Right. And this is in the middle of uh, Fables and Reflections, which is the sixth trade. Um, and again, I think we'll be here at least for another couple of weeks before we move on to the next big story arc. And we'll get into right. that, you know? Right. So uh, this is written by Neil Gaiman with art by Duncan Eagleson on pencils and Vince Locke on inks. And this might be like right off the bat in the first like couple of, you know, the first page with the panels might be the most realistic art we've had on Sandman. Like that old man's face looks like it's taken from a photograph, Joe. It I'm, is very photorealistic, yes. I, I'm I'm blown away by it. And I and I'm not gonna get into every bit of it, but it's the, the, the stories, the gist of it is a grandfather telling his granddaughter a story. And in it there's a lot of interplay 
cute, uh, you know, maybe a little scolding. I like a lot of the interplay between the grandfather and the grandmother or the granddaughter uh, talking about it. Like in the beginning, she does it. He's like, he's trying to tell her story and she's kind of playful and he's like, all right, I won't. Then she ends up kind of begging uh, for the story. And he's like, okay, it's the old country kind of a deal. And there was this uh, young boy named Vasily and it ends up like describing how, uh, the old country is like it's barren, rugged, you know, all the all the, the tropes that you would have. And while this Vasily is out there, a young uh, gypsy woman, he says, comes and meets him. And she says, you can have like a, like I have a bunch of trinkets in here all the way from like, you know, forget what she said that was in there. There's one that comes later, uh, you know, like wood from this thing. And, and he's like, oh, this is all interesting stuff but the kid's father comes and's like you know give it back these are baubles they're all like you know it's all an opportunity she's running here get back to work um so he's kind of in the in the woods again he runs into her again and uh she ends up giving him this pendant with a picture that is the picture of the duke's youngest daughter uh take it and uh he goes you know i'm uh she kind of says, uh, "Let you know, I'll tell you fortune uh, after all this. And as she does, she kind of sees something and it absolutely uh, terrifies her. So she kind of runs off after giving him the locket. The son becomes so like the boy becomes so enamored like with the locket that he's no like he's no longer good at like the jobs that he does. He basically kind of has a wanderlust. And he kind of goes, you know, out into the forest to see the world. And he comes across the old lady again. And he ends up seeing that she's been killed. So he ends up taking her pack of baubles and goodies um, onto this, you know, town. He finds an inn and he ends up staying there and says, can you tell me which way to the Duke? And she, he's like, the and keeper's like, yes. And he goes to sleep, but the guy, the guy kind of, the kid kind of feels something's off and he kind of sleeps on the floor that night and uh, the guy tries to kill him to rob him and the kid wants none of it. And I like the shot of like the guy comes in in the night with the candle and he misses him with the ax, but then the, the hands just reach and kind of snuffs out the candle and you have a whole black panel like that's storytelling. So I, I, I like the, the, the kind of surrounding bits to that scene. Uh, it says, Vasily ate lightly of the inn's indifferent food, then went up to his room and he bolted the door. Then all of this happens. Mm-hmm. And then Vasily had learned a valuable lesson that night. Before he left the inn, he took back the coin he had given the innkeeper for his food and lodging, feeling quite justified in doing so. He set off due, due west for the sunrise, well-rested and well-fed. Hmm. Innkeeper must have had breakfast out the next morning, Joe. I guess. Right. So along the way, Vesely runs into a, uh, a big thin man, which as this point, as the readers, we know it's Lucian, the librarian. Um, and basically asks him, uh, I know you're probably carrying a book in that, in that thing. Um, uh, could I get it? What's your price? And he ends up saying, well, I have lots of things. I even have the Emerald heart of, Cochise the Deathless, that's the thing that I was trying to remember. He goes, well, he goes, what's your price? And he goes, her. And he ends up holding the necklace. And he's like, well, I don't know if I could do that. I'm just a librarian who's lost a book. Uh, but, you know, I'll let you go on your way. And I like that they're talking as one of the bits with the fathers. And he's like, he's like, ah, oh. uh, he's like, 
uh, when you look back, the thin man was gone. She's like, this thin man, was he one of our, one of the people? Was he fairy or something? I don't believe in. He's like, of course you don't believe in fairies. You're 15. You think I believed in, you know, fairies when I was 15? It took me at least till I was 140, you know, maybe 150, uh, uh, kind of a thing. She's like, oh, like kind of a rap, you know, you're not that old kind of a deal. So they, he tells more of the stories. Like, uh, he, the, the vastly runs into Lucian again. He ends up, uh, give him, you know, he gives him a bunch of gold and he's like, nope, nope, I want, you know what I want. And he's like, uh, I can burn it if you don't give it to me. He's like, uh, it I, won't I like burn. the bit where uh, Lucian is like, uh, what does he say? He goes, uh, do you know do you know the, bod- the bother I didn't get the gold without anyone noticing it, right? <laughs> yep. Um, and then you mentioned like, uh, Vasily says, I'll burn it. Lucian says, it won't burn. He goes, then I won't burn it, but it won't be yours unless you meet my price. Oh, dear. He goes, I guess I'll have to get back to you on that one. So he's in the woods at night, and he ends up seeing a deer, and he starts hunting it. And he seems like his teeth are a little off in some of these panels, Joe. You know what I mean? Um, But he goes for the final leap, and somebody beats him to it. It's this young girl, and she ends up snapping the neck and taking him back to their village. And she's like, so they can, you know... feast on the deer and i like that immediately she gets back and she's like uh hey everybody he tried to catch this deer but he failed i did it love that and he blames the pack that he's carrying from slowing him down yes sure of course yes yes um so he kind of like gets to meet the people he ends up you know finding an uh an old lady old auntie i guess it's baba yaga uh on the edge of thing and she ends up talking and says like oh i you know, I'm looking for uh, the Duke's palace. And she's like, okay, I could take you. And she ends up, you know, uh, what is it? Like taking him in a pestle, like a flying pestle, which is funny. Um, and she ends up saying, well, what's my pain? And he's like, okay, here it is. The Emerald Heart of Koshisi the Deathless. And flies off. And I like, uh, this is like, an, this is a very Neil Gaiman line. When the girl asks, I thought you said the, the baubles in there were all worthless. Um, maybe I was mistaken. The grandfather says maybe Baba Yaga was easily fooled. Who knows? You shouldn't trust the storyteller. Only trust the story. That's basically as we've always talked. Like in the end, these story. This whole book is a a book about individual like stories. So and Neil knows you know about that. So he gets there and some like you know pompous guy opens up the door. He's like, I'm here to to see uh, the woman in this locket. And he's like, follow me. I'll take it to you. He takes him down the spiral staircase. And uh, he's like, you go in here. The lady will see you shortly or when hell freezes over and locks him in the dungeon. And he's like, Oh, I'm doomed. He's end up like eating his rations. Well, I'd like the couple times when he first encounters the man. And then mm-hmm. as he goes on, it was opened by a small fat man who stank of powder. And then later, the little man was terrified, but Vasily could not smell it, for scent and powder surrounded him like a mist. And Vasily was unused to the folk of the cities. Folk of the cities. Yeah, yeah. Um, So he's down there. He's like, now I'm going to probably do a slow death from, like, uh, that's far from noble. And then he he sees a light, and uh, it's Lucian again. He's calling. He's like, well, um... Uh, like why didn't you like he's like okay you're here but i have to ask you know 
you're here for the book. Why didn't you just wait until I died? And that's important. He's like, yeah, it's not that simple at this point. The book is you die, you die, but if you did until you die, but if it, you die, it becomes the property of the Duke. And I do not want to deal with that guy. Um, and he's like, and I'm nervous because I don't want my Lord to find out that a book is missing. And he's like, listen, you know what I want. He's like, oh dear, you better come with me. And he ends up like taking him through the dreaming and he gets to the library. And this part I like, cause this is one of those, cause like Sandman isn't known for its comedy bits. You know what I mean? Yeah. But the bit of Lucian, like, shh, we don't want to attract his attention. Like I want it. We mustn't do anything. Be very, very quiet. And on the quiet beat, he drops the candle because Sandman is in panel. I absolutely love it. And he's like, Oh, you didn't tell us we had a guest. He's like, oh, it's about the book. And uh, he tells him, and he listens to the tale of what he wants and everything. And it's very disconcerting, especially like this, because we're not sure what, like, you know, this is at least 140 years ago. To see Sandman smile at the idea is another one that just kind of makes me uh, disconcerting. So So I'll go you one differently, okay? Because he gets, like, they draw him with almost a gleam in both of his eyes. Mm Mm-hmm. And not a smile, but, like, not a frown, you know? Um, and prior to that, so the young man showed him the miniature, and the Lord of Dreams listened to his tale, and then he smiled. We're told that he smiles. It's what Morpheus considers a smile at this time, right? Right, or what the old man telling the story considers a smile. There you go. So, would you think, in what we're seeing here, and what we're being told, of course, excuse me, is that... Um, the reason Morpheus decides to help Vasily is that his story of this woman that he's now obsessed with is something that Morpheus can relate to. That's and, possible. And that's why, because, like, typically he'd be like, get this person out, so on and so forth. But, like, no problem. As you continue, it's like, okay, give Lucian the book. I'll take you to this person's room. Um, he goes to the the woman's room, and Morpheus even, like, kind of, um, monologues at him a bit regarding this. He says, she dreams of walking through a covered market, looking for cornflowers, and finding only co- goblets of sour blood. Well, do you dare wake her up then? And he does. Mm-hmm. And when she wakes up, she even says, who are these people? As though... She could see everyone that's in the room, which is, you know, she's kind of in between the waking and the real worlds, right? Mm-hmm. And then immediately as he does so, and again, I, I, I hate when we read pa- panels and pages and stuff from this, but uh, Vasily looked at her. She was beautiful indeed, pale and fragile. She was everything he had dreamed of. This is yours. And he gives her the thing and says, I'm hungry. Take me away from here. So Sandman does. Sandman brings him back to the dream dream realm, gives him a big giant feast. Um, and when Lucian asked Vasily about the Duke's daughter, he shook his head and said nothing. But the Lord of Dreams knew that wishes are sometimes best left ungranted, and he did not need to ask. One and of I, my favorite parts of that this right. this issue, and I think that's where this comes around to is is that Vasily tells this story to, to Morpheus, and he's like, "I've been here before." You yep. need to see that you're not missing out on anything sort of thing, you know? Right, or you will you will hunger for this for the rest of your life. Yes. 
Um, so he kind of helps him. And in that shot, Joe, I love the shot because this is old Morpheus where he still has the ruby, the pouch, and the helm sitting off on the side. Yes. Because, the, I mean, he still has the helm and the pouch, but the ruby is still there. So just in him sitting on the throne, you know, with his legs crossed and his hands doing the thing, that's absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, I love this art. And then he, you know, vastly talks about, he's like vastly woke in the morning. Um, and, uh, he ran through the woods in the shape of a wolf and he recognized the scent and, you know, they celebrated their union shape shifting from man, you know, wolf to man and everything. And they, you know, they had their wedding and they lived together until death part of them. And, as they're going back and forth, uh, the daughter, the granddaughter and the grandfather about this story, she ends up taking it from him that it's a fable for her uh, to stay away from, to not date outside their people. He's like, I, I know what you're trying to do. And, uh, uh, you know, people like you are living, like, you know, 500 years ago in that mentality. And I like that the grandfather says... It wasn't about your boyfriend. It wasn't really even about the people. It was about what he saw when he looked at the sleeping woman, why he turned his back on her. It was about dreams. Uh, my fault. I thought you would want to listen to this story. I wish you could have known your grandmother. She was an amazing woman. She knew the value of things, but she never let me forget. She'd beaten me to the deer. Shocked look on the face of the granddaughter, grandfather, and he just goes, Good night and shuts the door. And I will say this. I remember reading this story for the first time and this whole thing hitting hard, finding out that the grandfather was, I mean, there's the clues in there, but the way the art, the storytelling is like, you know, your mother, grandmother never let me, let me live it down that she beat me to the, to the deer and it slams. It had, it had a punch. I will say knowing it coming in because I knew this story. This story, you know, having that beat at the end and knowing it now, it takes a little bit of a, away from it, but it's still a really good story. For sure. And I, I think, you know, obviously, you know, we talk about all the other themes and everything else that are in this. I think another big part or a big theme of this also is that there's more than just one person out there other than Hobgalding that are hundreds of years old still living amongst the regular world. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, we go all the way back to the first couple issues. You know what I mean? You have Mad Hetty. You have, like, you can go down the fairy folk. Like, there are things among us, like you say. Yes, totally. Yeah. So, next up, um, a, bit of a, a bit of a different way to do things with all of this. We're going to be reading the Sandman special, um, which should have been read before a game of you kind of intermixed with the... Uh, single issue stories that we had done before, you know, kind of trying to behold into a release order and a publishing order and a print order and a collection order. This should be the last time that there's some difficulties with it. And right. it is an oversized issue. It's a 48 pager. So it's only, it's the only issue that we're going to be reading, but we do have one more story. Something that's very seldom seen by people, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and this Todd is from the original Sandman Bowen design statue from 1991. On the outside of the box itself was a Neil Gaiman one-page Sandman story. 
Right. No art told in prose. The only way to get it, like you said, was on the bat the box. And it, it was interesting because I know you might like this. It wasn't a box so much as was a uh slip cover on the box. Uh that was really cool. Um, but yeah, he and the only place this was ever reprinted, it was on the statue box, and it was in the absolutes. That's the only other place to get it. So with that being said, being that I don't expect you all to get the absolutes. I don't expect you all to go out and buy this statue that was limited to like 2000 and it's currently worth thousands of thousands of hundreds of dollars today. Mm-hmm. Make sure that you go check uh, the post that goes up on Thursday about what we're reading. Yeah, there may, maybe you'll find something interesting. Yep. Um, and then, you know, we'll, we'll finish up uh, uh, Fables and Reflections and then we'll be on to brief lives before you know it. Ooh, like I can't believe how fast we are rocketing through this. Yeah. Because like brief lives is and is really not to spoil anything is when that story happens and then you're into the home stretch. You know what I mean? Right. You got brief lives. You got World's End. Um. You got like a couple one shots here and there, and then you got um, kindly ones, kindly ones, and then the story that's after that. But the kindly ones is like a ten. 11 issue series i want to say 13 because it yeah. was crazy yeah, but i will big. say um we do get ramadan in there which is a great one shot yep won't say too much about that but yeah it's almost like there are no bad issues of this run joe that is true and mm-hmm. then you know obviously we got a lot of mini series uh, dropped in there but we'll get there when we get there right um, so, hey, plugs, of course, while you're over at longboxheroes.com, be sure to check out all the other stuff that we have there. Like, we got our store, we got the links and everything set up correctly there. You can head over to our T Public store. Uh, a lot of talk about fish math on a lot of the other shows on the soon to be named network this week. Oh. Um, you know, need to maybe tweet at Long John Silvers one more time, like fake them out and say, I got an order and it was bad. Oh, well, how can I help you? be a sponsor of my podcast and and open more stores and open more stores i hear there's gonna be a bunch of burger kings that are gonna be open for you to move into any day now yep um you can also sign up for our patreon as little as a dollar a month is gonna get you two bonus shows uh from todd and myself one is previewing the past where we look at 30 years ago this month's previews catalog uh we just came off recording may of 1993 April was a huge catalog, so it was an over three-hour episode. May was a huge catalog, so it was an over three-hour episode. I got a feeling June, just looking at the cover, yeah, it's going to be a big issue next month for June. Uh, we also have our movie show that we do every month. Comic Book Oddities is the theme this month. Uh, later on this month, we will be recording uh, our first time watching the Halle Berry, Sharon Stone, Catwoman movie. I have seen Catwoman before. Oh, you've seen it. I've never yeah, seen it before. Yeah, I think we talk about this it, every time. It's been a while, though. Yes, and uh, hopefully it'll be never again after this. Mm-hmm. Um, again, that's as little as a dollar a month. $5 a month is going to get you those podcasts two weeks before everyone else, and it's going to get you after dark two days before everyone else. So you can listen to these shows in the correct listening order. And any level that you're at with the Patreon, you also get those full scans of those preview catalogs. And listen, I know 
an extra three-hour podcast sometimes just doesn't fit in your schedule. Listen, I listen to tons of podcasts every day. That's what I do. They've replaced movies and TVs and everything else for me. I just love podcasts, but sometimes you don't. You don't like them. Whatever. I think if you're a comic book person going back and looking at what was out there in 1990, 1991, 92, 93, it's going to bring back so many memories. Both good and bad. (laughs) Yeah, well, good and bad of the comic book industry and seeing it change and seeing it grow over that two to three year period. And then, you know, where things are going to lead to in the next couple of years, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, So all that's on the Patreon, patreon.com slash longboxheroes. And of course, we have our eBay affiliate link. I don't know. There's a link on like every every single one of these show posts. It takes you to eBay. When you make an eBay purchase, you bid something, you win something, you did it through our link. We get a little bit of a kickback. Yeah, yeah. Um. So I guess did we have any art attacks this week? We did not, unless someone s- sneaked one in, but I doubt it. Okay. So with that being said, I guess it's time to get into uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, huh? Yeah, we could talk about that little movie that could do, you know? All right, so um, this is the finale, not only for these characters, but also for James Gunn at Marvel, uh, as he has already been talking about writing the script for the new Superman movie. Got it in just before the writer's strike. Yeah, got it in just before the writer's strike. And that he'll be uh, hopefully reshaping the DC universe. I say fourth time's a charm for the DC movie franchises, right? Sure, uh, well, they had a few, you know, doubles and triples in there, but uh, a lot of <laughs> lot of strikeouts. Right. Uh, again, listen, a uh, couple, couple, like couple of big ones, but a lot more little ones than big ones, you know? Right. Not many of them were Batman-related that were hits, though. Right, right. Um, I, I think Bat- Batman, you start on third. Yes, yes. <laughs> Batman is the the definition of white privilege. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> but the Batman narcotic. <laughs> He's gonna get a neck tattoo. No, not of a, a, a Joker has the neck tattoo. Batman would never. Right, and the grill, the gold grill, right? Yeah. Um. So, Guardians of the Galaxy three. Um, Rocket Raccoon gets a boo-boo and all the Guardians of the Galaxy are sad and they want to help him. The end. There you go. That's the movie. And I'm simplifying it. I'm way oversimplifying it. Um, But it's so much more than that. This is less of a Guardians of the Galaxy movie and more of a Rocket Raccoon origin story and maybe redemption story and maybe realization story and it's a movie that'll make you cry over cgi animals like yep. several times it'll make you cry um joe i just on that i'm just gonna say and 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 make you like legit hate villains in this yeah. i have i have someone who would swear under oath that I gave the movie screen the finger many times whenever the high of evolutionary would show up legit was like double barrel. Like, here you go. That's how much like emotion this movie invoked as it went on. Uh, right. And as difficult as his name looks to, uh, pronounce if you were to look at it, uh, but Chuck Woody Awoji, 
who played Mern in the aforementioned Peacemaker series, plays the high evolutionary in this in such a way that is amazingly like, you know, they even acknowledge it in the movie, like when he has the confrontation with Star-Lord, where they're like, oh, they're setting you up for a trap. And he goes, no, I'm going into a confrontation. You know, like there's that whole bit that goes on through the movie. Mm-hmm. And when they have their moment where Star-Lord and the High Evolutionary together in the room. And Star-Lord's just like, listen, man, I don't want to hear your backstory. I don't want to hear how your mom didn't love you. I don't want to hear how you want to take over the universe. I just want you to help my friend. Right? Mm-hmm. And then what the high evolutionary's plan is, is just to try to make a better and better thing. And obviously, where... So, um, Wuji is a Shakespearean-trained actor. Right? And it may show. <laughs> so, as the high evolutionary is doing his experiments, and he's using animals as the basis for what we would later see become his manimals, right? Right, on Counter-Earth, of all on, things. On Counter-Earth, right? And I'm only sad that I don't think they ever said the phrase Wondegore Mountain in the movie. So that does take a half star off. Well, Wondegore was on regular Earth. That was where Scarlet Witch was from and hung out during reading The Darkhold. But when I think of the High Evolutionary mm, okay. and the manimals... I want my Wondagore. I want my, uh, you know. Okay, fair enough. I'll get into my nitpick a little bit later. So, but again, but like that, the movie loses half a star, right? We're starting at seven. We lost half a star. Right. The old Homer Simpson seven thumbs up, you know? (laughs) Right. This movie was maybe, I know in the credits it said that it was filmed uh, in Canada and Quebec, but I'd say it was filmed in the Tokyo Dome, if you ask me. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's the bit where, as the high evolutionary is making these things, and like Rocket is one of the first couple experiments that we see, and you know, there's like the badger thing and there's the walrus thing and there's the rabbit thing, you know, mm-hmm. um, and what are their names? It's like teeth and teeth, flo- teeth's floor. Lydia, Lydia. And I will say this. Did you see James Gunn in the in the rocket teeth's Lydia and floor shirt? So, yes, I did. Because um, I, I had to mute sell- James and Gardens of the Galaxy stuff last week. To avoid everything, and then when we came home from the movie on Sunday, I turned off all my mutes, and then I just, like, soaked in all of his tweets from the last week, you know? You bastard. I didn't realize uh, until a little bit of it that the one person in there was uh, his wife, was the the person using the PA system. Yes. So that was cool. Um. So, okay, so we're, we're going, we're kind of all over the place with this. Doesn't but- matter. With high, high evolutionary's thing as he's trying to get this, and he's trying to use animals as the calming influence, but when he uses the thing to evolve them, it's not working. And Rocket figures out what the problem is. He fixes mm-hmm. the problem just by looking at it. And all of the other things that the high evolutionary makes before and after are all super smart, can all do sort all sorts of things. But it's repetition. It's repetition if you teach them to. Rocket is the only one that ever was able to problem solve. Right. He shows genuine intellect. Right. So now that Counter-Earth is failing, his perfect society is starting to fail, and he just completely wipes out that Earth and starts over again, he needs Rocket's brain specifically so that he could replicate what that was 
and get that other thing that has that problem-solving ability so that the next Counter-Earth won't be a failure like this Counter-Earth. But it also makes you feel like it's just a big, like, like it's pointless because no matter what, he's never going to get perfection. So, you know what I mean? That's but he, that's, and that's the thing that makes him a villain is he, that he doesn't know that. Right. He but also what problem will be solved once he gets Rocket's brain, which makes no sense whatsoever. But once he gets Rocket's brain, he'll be able to use Rocket's brain, put it in a better thing. And that better thing will be able to figure out the, the reason why all the other things have failed. Right. And I do like that the reason like the uh, the point that uh, Star-Lord uses to prove that the world has failed is any time an octopus sells a lizard meth. That's a failure of a world. Yes. And the thing that did kept, catch me off guard was how the evolutionary goes. Yeah, because you, you figured he would have argued. But no, he's like, yeah, I screwed up. I screwed this one up, but I'm going to do it. But I'll say this, Joe. Everything that the high evolutionary was acted, did as a villain was everything Kang should have been. Kang was so like meek and, and until the end of that Ant-Man movie finally had some teeths. He, he just was nothing where this guy, if this guy was Kang, oh my God, you'd be selling Kang dolls. Like they were going out of style. But no, you, you well, they're chose- not selling Kang dolls because they're in those junky boxes. But that's right, not right. there. But do you, do you know what I'm saying? I like, do. He would have been the one because after Thanos, he might be the vet best villain in the Marvel universe. Uh, I hard pressed to disagree with that. I'm like, who else like gives you that range of like shoot hate, Joe? Yeah. You know, so and, and obviously we're not there yet. But James Gunn definitely has a lot of his favorite actors that he works with. And he's kind of sort of intimated that Owuji is going to be doing something in the upcoming DC movies. One would assume Peacemaker related, but again, spoilers for a TV show that's a year and a half old. Mm-hmm. Maybe not. Um, Wait, wasn't he already in Peacemaker? Right, but he dies. Spoilers. Right, but what I mean is I think he's going to be in Superman. Or something else. Or whatever. Right. Like he has a lot of the actors that he worked with in these movies earmarked for other roles in DC movies, you know? Right, right. So that's kind of why he kind of like busted it up and like gave everybody like when it ends, it's like, oh, here's your group now. And it's all either new people or people who just have to sit in a recording studio for three days, get all their lines and leave. You know what I mean? Right. Um, but the, so the Guardians of the Galaxy movie, whether it be the first one, the second one, the third one, um, and obviously these characters have intermingled into other parts of the Marvel Universe movies, the Avengers movies, the Thor movies, everything else. But these three movies kind of sort of stand on their own. I heard somebody write the reason Guardians movies work, and I'll say lesser extent for two because I'm not as big on two as, as other people are, is because they're a Jimmy Pistol movie first and a Marvel movie second. Yeah. So, and it's whether they sound different. And so the thing is they sound different. And so much of the way the first movie sounded resonated in the other Marvel movies after that, Mm -hmm. the way that the first and second movies looked, then the rest of the other movies started to look like that too. 
there you're never going to see a Marvel movie that looks like Guardians of the Galaxy 3, where they go to a planet that is a living organism that's like all this like weird mucus and flesh and all the computer stuff is like goop and like just like these weird color combinations of like whites and yellows these are color combinations and looks and feels that are not going to be replicated in other marvel movies and when people try it's going to be called out that they're just trying to rip off Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Yep, and nobody's going to be able to work music in the way he does. Right, and they've tried. Right, and it just does. Other than ACDC, it does <laughs> not work. So, <laughs> Listen, I popped when they're descending on Counter-Earth and they play from the pre-Mike Patton, Faith No More, We Care A Lot. You know what I mean? Like... Why am I hearing this mo- this song in this movie? You know what I mean? Joe, I just got goosebumps. When <laughs> Gamora is going to see, like, cause she, we'll get to Gamora. Um, but the bit where she's going to see him in the, in the, the med bay and they start playing Alice Cooper's always chasing rainbows. Oh my God. I'm like, I never thought that I would hear an Alice Cooper song in a comic book movie, even though there was one in one of the X-Men movies. Um, but a deep cut, it would have been welcome to my nightmare or schools out. You know what I mean? But always chasing rainbows, which is one of my favorite songs. I'm like, Oh my God. And every song works in the context of the scene. It's not just like, Oh, here's a cool song because it's cool. It's like, no, dissect, and I'm getting, I'm being stupid about this, dissect the lyrics. It has something to do, or the music feel has something to do with the scene. So, and like you said, yes, when somebody tries that now, it's just going to be like, oh, what do we have on Disney records? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's going to be bad. Um, he does mention, uh, I wish I could find the exact tweet. I should have bookmarked this one, too. It's too busy bookmarking all Spider-Verse Burger King stuff. <laughs> right. Um, he said that there was one song that they were not able to get. Right. Um, and it was just the people who owned the song were just steadfast. They're like, we don't care how much money you give us. We're not going to give you this song. Right, right. Uh, so go on with the rest of your stuff. Um, I was going to say uh, I love the bit with uh gamora like the whole thing with uh gamora and uh uh what's his name uh star lord not being together because they genuinely got me with i thought they might get back together at the end of the movie but in the end it's it's it, they work out there like star lord works out his bits and stuff like that in the end the bit where they like they fight and she's like what do you want like i'm not going to be what you want and i'm like this is a realistic dark little scene and that's another thing there's a lot of truly dark moments in this movie and at the end the bit where they finally have like that moment of ah where she's like he's walking away and and quills like ah and she's getting on the ship and she goes I bet we were really good together. And he's like, we were. And that's the the bit where it's like, all right, this is ended and it's not happening. And he breaks them up. And I'm like, this works so good. And like other dark things in this movie, other than what they do to the animals, the bit where the high evolutionary takes his gets his face taken off, that's going to scar kids, Joe. Uh, my my wife said that that scene again out of nowhere. First of all, 
Um, like, obviously, there was the bit where the flap was coming off. I'm like, oh, they're going to peel his face off. But then they show what's underneath it. Uh, April said that this that scene is this generation's uh, end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Right, right. <laughs> but uh, that, like, you know, that's great. I'm trying to think of some of the other bits that I was like, it's it's all fantastic. I like Gamora and Neb. Let's put it this way. Everybody gets a... He, he knows the perfect thing. It's like I equate it to like the first X-Men movie all the way back in the day where everybody gets something to do before it becomes the Storm and the Wolverine show. Right. And this, they all have like either closure to their story or like people who like Mantis, who I believe is going to go off and have her own TV show or whatever. You know, you know what I mean? Like she has that like, but uh, Nebula, uh, uh, Gamora. Uh, uh, Drax, they all seem to have an end to their story or at least close up whatever storyline they did. So it works for me. And to see Drax dance at the end absolutely cracked me up. And like even that where Drax is, and I don't want to hit on everything, but we're we're, he's the spoiler talk. Right. No, but I mean, you know, we're doing every bit of the movie, but the bit where he's like, he's on the thing and he steals the motorcycle and they're like, you're an idiot. And Mantis stands up for him, and she goes, he may be an idiot, but he's the only one who doesn't hate himself. And she's like, he's like, you think I'm stupid? And she's like, forget. And I'm like, and he ends up being like whatever he is, and everybody gets their beats. And then when you find out Drax can talk to the kid, and Nebula's been, or been berating him, she's like, why didn't you say you knew their language? And he goes, why didn't you ask me? Yeah. You know, like, you just beat me down. And I'm like... This movie is way better than it has any right to be. And like all of it. I like I'm, I'm like I'm loving Drax. I'm loving Nebula. I'm loving Mantis. Mantis might be the face of this movie. The face? The face. But all around, it's so good. So, so good. My only nitpick, Joe. All right. My only nitpick, and it's it's a little is I feel they did Warlock dirty. Okay. I'm a warlock guy, but this is my reasoning of why. Jimmy Pistol went, I'll introduce your warlock. I'm going to bring him out of the cocoon early so he's a child in a blank slate. So he's set up for your next movie. Do him however you want. That's my theory. So my my thing is, you know, obviously we're in a nitpick. I don't have the same effect. Uh, affection for warlock that you do the warlock subplot from two in the t's and three here did nothing for me i don't think they did enough for me to establish uh his involvement or whatever so that's another half star knocked off so we're down to six stars for the movie right but yeah um i will say that and joe in case you were wondering about the the song it was by the Lords of New Church called Russian. I had it here. I was ready to go. Yes. Yep. And then he said there was a couple other songs, but every one that he fought for, he ended up getting. There was one, I can't remember what it was. He said that was really hard, but the check cleared and it was allowed in the movie. Right. Yeah. He says, over. Uh, I found the tweet. However, for the first time on volume three, we didn't get the rights to a song I wanted because it was tied up in legal battles. And it was Russian Roulette by the Lords of the New Church. And then, like, if you go down through the replies, you'll see that for the a majority of the songs, like they always had, like they always got what they were looking for, but for most of the songs, he had a backup choice, you know? Right, right. 
Um, though I do want to ask you one question because it kind of ends and we get what? We get the mid credit scene uh, that we kind of see the new Guardians of the Galaxy group. By the way, Cosmo, star of the movie as far as... Uh, right, I forgot. So we have a B-plot in the story. You talk about everybody getting their moment. Mm-hmm. Um, the B-story in the movie is Craglin and Cosmo not getting along. Bad dog. And Craglin calling Cosmo a bad dog. And then finally gets the moment at the end where Craglin calls Cosmo a good dog. Joe, I never <laughs> saw it coming. He only <laughs> called him bad dog like five times. And I was like, is he going to call him a good dog? And when he's like, he's like, and he says, I mean, I know it's coming. I'm joking around. Joe, it was so glorious. And Craglin got to use the arrow with the whistle. Yep. They like they it all comes full circle. All comes full circle. He gets he gets the bit where he sees uh Michael Rooker there. Yeah. And you know, Michael Rooker gives him like, you know, the the, the cheesy bit where he's like, You gotta do it with your heart, you know? Yep. yep. And that's what gets Craglin to finally figure it out, you know, and like whether it's something big being told that you're a good dog or or something small being told you're a good dog or something big, like getting that resolution and acceptance of who you are when Rocket goes back and they're saving all the people off of the high evolutionary ship and they specifically say the higher life forms, you know, mm-hmm. um, the higher life forms and then they get them all off and then Rocket sees the area where he grew up and he sees all those little raccoons from that pen that he came from oh. and he sees the sign in there that says, you know, whatever earth, whatever uh, raccoons. And then he finally has that moment where he accepts that he's Rocket Raccoon. You know, it's mm-hmm. just such a great moment for that character. And, you know, James Gunn says, like, from the first movie, from the first script that he handed in 11 years ago. <laughs> Jeez, I feel this, old. He had this moment in his, you know, in his mind. You know? It's almost like Jimmy Pistol's making movies, Joe. It's almost like he knows what he's doing, you know? Um, and not to, like, harp on it too much, but the bit where Teefs and Lila and Floor, get, and you knew it was coming. You know what I mean? Oh, you yeah. Are, you are setting up all the fun, them on the floor, looking at the ceiling, wishing it was the sky. We're, we're going to get out. We're going to see the sky. Right. But you knew it was going to end badly, or they'd be around. And when you can ask Josh, I saw the movie when the first shot happened and they took out uh, Lila Lydia, I'm sorry. They took her out. I audibly gasped audibly because it's one of those shots that it's not like foretold coming. And then we see the bodies of the other two, Joe, I could barely see the movie because I don't know if there was somebody slicing onions in that theater (laughs) Or what? It was dusty in there. I was like, "Oh my god, this 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 movie destroyed me." This is like the end of a game of you. I was I was a, sh- a quivering mess at times, but it ends on a high note, which is the way to go out. Um, so I was just like, so good. But the the thing I really like is it ends with uh, Quill with his grandfather, who was the same actor from the first movie. But he says something where they're talking. He's like, "Would you? Why, why didn't you ever go back to your grandfather on Earth?" And he's like, "Well, my grandfather, like you know, he probably doesn't even miss me. He chased me out of the room, yelling, you know, yelling at me while my mother was dying." And I'm like, "That's not the way that scene played out. Mm-hmm. The grandfather told him, stay. Your mother's, you know, passing away. Don't go.' And he get, he can't take it, and he leaves. And I'm like." 
you know, in the trailer, we get the end credit. It says Leg- uh, uh, legendary star Lord will be around again soon. That whole bit, like there's going to be more, like, he's like, I'm not done cashing those Disney checks. And I'm like, I'm really hoping that that's a bit like him coming to terms with all that. Cause I don't think it was a throwaway line. If you get what I'm saying, I, I love it all might be my second. And I said, hot take here. This might be my second favorite Marvel movie ever. <sighs> Okay, we're not going to redo the list. No, but like the top couple at least, you know. So here's what I could say. The trilogy together is probably my favorite. Hmm. Um, then, like, you're, I'm counting all three movies together, okay? Okay. We're taking the entire package. Um, we're taking, if we're taking Avengers Endgame, we're taking parts one and two together. Okay, that's a different thing because okay. Endgame and Infinity War are two two great movies for two completely different reasons. Right. So again, with with the strength of the third one, I'm putting the Gardens of Galaxy trilogy at number one. I'm putting Winter Soldier at number two, and I'm putting Endgame one and two together at three. Okay. Winter Soldier will always be my number one. Now, I can't put Guardians of the Galaxy as a trilogy together. Right. Because I really dip on two. Okay. Um, There are great parts of two. I, you know, like other parts of the movie, uh, Dusty Onions on the Yondu death. Um, the, the, the turn when ego says, when ego tells Quill, he's like, I loved your mother. And it broke my heart when I had to kill her was th- w- probably one of the most evil scenes in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but Kurt Russell isn't, like, the greatest villain. You know what I mean? It was just that, because I didn't see that Ego had killed the mother. I was like, okay, but uh, two I dip on. So may- it's definitely Winter Soldier 1. It would be... <sighs> Guardians as the trilogy with three is so strong. Three is so strong. I'll put it two. And then, as I say, Infinity War is by far one of the greatest Marvel movies, but Endgame is a bunch of totally greatest scenes in comic book movie history tied together with a story that makes no sense. So yeah, those are my three. Winter Soldier 1, Guardians of the Galaxy 3, number 2, Infinity War uh, 3. All right. Sorry, it took me a long way to get that out of my head. No, I get you. I get where you're coming from. I get your problems with uh, 2, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I think that's it. Like we could sit here all night and just talk about Gardens of the Galaxy three. I really liked it. Um, yeah. Remember that time? <laughs> um, but yeah, there was like we left a bunch of stuff out. But like I said, it was great. I really loved it, and Asa loved it. He, you know, when he was talking to his friends on whatever it was, um, he's like, "Oh, we went to go see Gardens of the Galaxy, and it was awesome." You know? Yep. Yep. And Nobody I've I've said like like had a bad word. I've had friends like text me that couldn't make it, and they're like they're like that was awesome. That's that that might change how people look at the next couple of Marvel movies because they had a dip in quality. Yeah, now, not not crappy movies, but this is going to make people want to see Marvel movies again. Yeah, and uh, hope that I always forget that there's a subset of people much larger than you think that don't know the difference between Marvel and DC movies. They just see them all as comic book movies. Yep. 
So when a DC movie gets panned like Shazam, they're just like, oh, it's another Marvel movie clunking out. You know, it's like, yeah, a a superhero movie is called a Marvel movie like Kleenex is like a tissue. It's like the name of the brand anymore. Right. I, I hope it's the strength of this movie that gets people to try the first James Gunn DC movie. I have a feeling, yes, this is definitely going to have carryover. And if you think the promotion for the Superman movie isn't going to have from the director of Guardians of the Galaxy 1, 2, and 3, you're sadly mistaken. I hope it says from the from the, from the the director of Slither and writer I, of Tromeo and Juliet. I was going to say from, from the writer of Dawn of the Dead, but the director no, not involved at all. That's what yeah. I was going to say. <laughs> I always forget that Jimmy Pistol wrote uh, the Dawn of the, the Zack Snyder Dawn of the Dead. And I will say this: Dawn of the Dead, my favorite zombie movie ever. Mm-hmm. I love Dawn of the Dead. Might be for the uh, the Johnny Cash opening song, but <laughs> that is I, Joe. That is a, a remote dropper. When I'm watching TV, if Dawn of the Dead is on the Jimmy Pistol one. I'm like, this movie is is fantastic. Blows that original Dawn of the Dead right out of the water. I begrudgingly like that Dawn of the Dead because I love the George Romero one so much. I, I knew you were going to say that, but I just think such a strong story, actors and movies, and that George Romero, he had one good black and white movie, and then everything else was just trying to recapture the magic. And I'm, I know you think I'm tweaking you, but that's the way I feel about it. You, if you knew George Romero's whole catalog, we need to end the show now. If you knew George Romero's whole catalog, you would understand how wrong you are. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that being said, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, this was Longbox Heroes episode 657. For Todd, this is Joe saying we'll see you all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain. You're listening to the soon-to-be-named network, the Lamborghini of Podcast Networks. The Rob is a long box hero. The Rob is a long box hero. He gives us five five stars.